Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher. And today we have a very special show that I am so excited about. Growing up as a kid in the suburban Northeast, I could only dream about vast landscapes and living the life of a cowboy. One of my favorite books, which became a TV miniseries, was Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry about two Texas Rangers that drove a herd of cattle north from the Rio Grande to Montana. It was an epic story. Then, of course, there was the 1991 movie City Slickers, where three friends, afraid of midlife crisis, take a supervised cattle drive across the Southwest, and many antics ensued. The life of a cowboy is so inspiring to so many of us. And today, we have a real-life cowboy with us, and I think you might just see my inner child come out during this next hour. Daniel Sinton, manager of the Avenalis Ranch in Shandon, California, where he grew up, is with us. He is a fifth-generation San Luis Obispo County rancher, and he currently manages 18,000 acres of open rangeland and 120 acres of wine grapes, all of which are organic. The ranch was established in 1875 and the vineyard in 1972. Daniel is a graduate of Stanford University and spent decades in the technology and nonprofit industries before returning to the ranch, where he now lives and works with his wife, Megan, and their two boys. The archetype of a rancher is something many of us only dream about, and I am so excited for Daniel to share his story with us so we can find out firsthand what it means to be a real-life cowboy. Daniel, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. I am so excited, man, to sit around the campfire here with you and, and, and find out. Like, I would love to just dive in. Can you just, uh, can you share with us um, as we get started here what it is that you do and where you do it? Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm a rancher in the kind of central coastal range of California. So we're halfway in between San Francisco and Los Angeles, um, which is confounding to some people because if you don't live anywhere on the West Coast, you a lot of people don't understand that there are places outside of the city in California or the beach. And yeah. so we're, uh, we're about an hour from the beach here. Um, it's this morning, it was 28 degrees. Uh, it'll get up to 112 or 15 sometimes during the summer. So dry heat, not wet heat. And um, uh, I'm a rancher. So I do, we do beef cattle. We raise beef cattle on the 18,000 acres. Um, we have two ranches, the Avenal's Ranch and uh, the Canyon Ranch. And we also have a vineyard, 120 acre uh, wine grape vineyard that we've been producing uh, grapes out of for 50 years. So, Yeah, it's amazing. Can you tell us a little bit more just kind of for the listeners, like sort of describe sort of the landscape of the of the 18,000 acres and, and like, you know, what all goes on at the Avenalis Ranch? Sure. So uh, to put a picture in people's mind, it's a very rolling hills, grassy land with oak trees, pine trees, uh, brush, and um, some of it's steeper. You know, uh, we have steep sections and we have open kind of grassier, flatter sections as well. 
the Salinas River, which is one of the few major rivers in California, flows uh, through the ranch. It actually starts where the head, headwaters of the Salinas River. Um, and so I can pinpoint the exact place on the ranch uh, where the first trickle of the Salinas River starts. And it ends up in Monterey Bay, which is pretty cool. So, um, And then uh, let's see. So we have cattle that are roaming free kind of all over the ranch. Um, we run anywhere from, depending on the year, 250 to 700 cat cows. Uh, we do cow-calf pairs. So in the ranching world, you're, you can be a number of different things, but cow-calf operator is what we are. So we raise cows that have calves, um, and then we sell the calves uh, to the market. And then... Uh, you can be a stalker, which is somebody who doesn't have cows. They bring in the animals that we sell, the calves that we sell when they're weaned off their moms, and they try to raise them to be bigger. And then that final production piece um, is is at the harvest facility. So we kind of actually, uh, a couple of years ago, transitioned from just cow-calf producer into um holding over our own calves and so we've changed up our system quite a bit so this will be our 148th year um running the ranch and so my my measly 15 years of running it is uh <laughs> it's a small portion but amazing you know, but yeah so uh so a number of a couple of years ago we transitioned to uh trying to be a part of the grass-fed beef market um you know one of the things that we were always disappointed about with uh, raising beef cattle was that we, you know, they, they live their entire lives here in this open rangeland, um, pure freedom. You know, we bring them in a couple times a year to do different things, uh, you know, check if they're pregnant, uh, doctor them if need be, um, wean them off their moms and, uh, things like that, that branding. Um, so, uh, but the, but then to see them get shipped off in a big truck, to live their life in some place that, you know, is kind of miserable at the end, end of their life always kind of bothered all of us. Yeah. And so the grass fed beef market is kind of cool because when they leave the property, that's the last day. So, um, you know, the process is so much cleaner from, from an environmental standpoint, but also just, uh, from, the health of the animal, the stress of the animal and that kind of thing. So we got into that a couple of years ago. Um, we've been supplying grass-fed beef animals um, for different grass-fed programs for a, a number of years. And, and we also transitioned into organic. And so we're fully certified organic GAP level four, which is a humane certification. Um, and then uh, we actually just got Audubon bird friendly certified uh, one of the, first ranches in California to do that. So, so we, we, uh, you know, all of those certifications are just things that we had already been doing and, um, and it's just kind of proves and puts a stamp on, on that for the consumer. But just to touch back upon the, the process. So the cow has a calf, uh, we, we fall, uh, we calve in the fall. And so by, you know, June or so those calves are so big that their moms need them off of them. And so we remove those calves and uh kick the cows back out into the field and and they get to go back to what they were doing um and then the calves typically are sold through to the open market whether they're steers which is a bull calf without its uh where it's been castrated okay um and then uh and then there are heifer calves which are are females that have not had a calf yet so 
a heifer transitions into a cow at some point if you get it pregnant. And so we used to sell off all of our steers. Now we hold over the, the vast majority of them for grass-fed organic markets. Um, and we will raise them from that six to eight month uh, range uh, on property here until they're about a year and a half to two years old. And then we'll, we'll sell them uh, for butchering. Yeah. So I, I think it's safe to say, based on what you just shared, you know, we're going to get into the environmental side of this and we'll have a little discussion about beef at the end, but um, your cattle are living a good life. They are. Yeah, no. And, and it's funny because, um, well, uh, yeah, we can catch up on the environmental piece of it, but the, you know, running around the ranch, you know, you come up to a hillside and you look out and you see them kind of scattered all over yeah. and we run our herd in a, in a group. And so, but they, they still, you know, you've got 18,000 acres, there's a lot of places to roam. So yeah. yeah, you know, they come in a couple times a year for different things that we have to do f- for them. Um, and uh, otherwise they're just sitting under trees, grazing, you know, drinking water from the creeks, that kind of thing. So, yeah. So, I mean, there's a long history. You're almost to 150 years. Can you talk just a little bit about the history of the ranch kind of going back to the early days? Yeah, so my great great grandfather immigrated here from uh, Germany, and he and his two brothers started a store in San Luis Obispo, and they um, they he eventually my great great grandfather Bernard Sensheimer was his last name. Um, he bought up a lot of different homesteads that people either were dying off or needed to trade in or whatever, and he collected a a whole bunch of different homesteads all over the county um, to collectively have what we currently have. And uh, in the war, in the World War II, my great grandfather changed our last name to Sinton uh, because people didn't want to do business with Germans. So, um, so that's hence the name change. But my hat has the brand on it. That's the SS. You, you can't have a brand with just a letter. You have to have some other piece to it. So we did an S with a backwards S. Some people do a a bar S or bar V or whatever the thing is and yeah. arrows and all sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well with a last name like Wurzbacher, I mean, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. right. So um, at some point y'all got into um, the wine business as well and the wine grapes. Yeah. So that was 1972. Uh, my grandfather, uh, he decided that the cattle business was really not going to change. He had been kind of going through these phases with the cattle business where uh, the producer, which is what we call ourselves, the people who produce the calves, um, no longer had any power. So, and I remember as a kid, I'd stand out there and this big fat guy from some giant slaughterhouse would roll out there and, and my grandpa would say, well, GB, uh, these are the cows I've got to sell. Uh, and they'd say, okay, well, I'll give you 67 cents a pound for them. And, and my grandpa would say, well, GB, this market's at 72 cents. And he said, well, that's, that's what I'll give you for them. And he said, okay. And then GB would leave and go off to do whatever he was doing. And, and my grandpa would turn to me and he said, don't try to bargain with them. You have no power. He's going to leave here and he's going to call the next guy who owns the next feed out the slaughterhouse there's only four of them pack packers and he's going to tell him well i offered him 67 cents so that when that guy comes he's going to offer me 65 and mm-hmm. he said I, I don't have any power so you just take what you got and he was frustrated by that and he could see that 
trying to make money in the cattle business was a lost cause. Um, and so he decided that, uh, through some help with my, my parents and my uncle who had gone to enology school at Davis, that wine grapes were a great place. This was a great place to grow wine grapes. And so we were some of the first couple hundred acres here in, um, in this area, Paso Robles area and Paso Robles is now, you know, second largest uh, wine growing and wine winery region in the United States beyond Napa Sonoma area. And so um, diversifying into that was a, was kind of a play to keep the the rest of the the ranch open and and rangeland as it is. And that's really been our whole goal uh, since the beginning. Um, Yeah. We've put a conservation easement on 12,000 of the 18,000 acres. Uh, That means that it will, be open rangeland in perpetuity. So uh, mm-hmm. we we cannot build on it. Even if we sell it, that person cannot build on it. So uh, that was a goal that we achieved right before my grandfather passed away at 101. And he was really pleased that that was a, you know, a safeguard to the, his legacy. Hey everyone, it's Scott here. This podcast is a passion project for me because I absolutely love adventure. And it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that many of you know as the W Realty Group, that this podcast gets funded. This awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients. If you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home, our team serves the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the US or Canada through our highly connected network. When you support our real estate business, you are also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your referrals. Yeah. And actually, I think I saw a great video on that on the website. Um, And uh, your website is great for folks that want to kind of visualize all this stuff that we're talking about. Your Instagram and your um, Avanalis Ranch uh, website are fantastic. So definitely encourage people to go check that out. So uh, I want to clear up some terminology real quick before we go forward, because I love just the, the, like I said, the archetype of the cowboy. Um, But you would call yourself a a rancher. And I wonder if you could just kind of talk to us about the the differences between those two words. Are they the same thing? Rancher and cowboy? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, rancher, I think, in my opinion, rancher and cowboy are essentially the same thing. A rancher, uh, you know, has a ranch and branches different things probably, but mostly cattle. And uh, and then there are cowboys and cowboys go out and, and work the land. And um, I personally, I've always thought of myself as both. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that there are people within the industry that, that feel that there's some terminology that doesn't apply to them. But, but yeah, uh, you know, working with cattle uh, and owning a ranch kind of fit into those two molds. Yeah. And I feel like in a conversation that we had at one point before this call, I heard you say that uh, one of your favorite pieces is just to be on a horse out there. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the modern day rancher still has to be behind a computer, uh, pretty frequently, you know, there's a lot of planning that goes into ranching, you know, um, we had some storms here recently on the ranch that blew through and, uh, you know, record rainfall, uh, things I hadn't seen in 30 years. Um, and you know, we've, we had all these plans. We were supposed to be branding in November and December and, uh, you know, through different, things that happened, uh, fences blew out, cattle disappeared and 
you know, you can't get in because the county road is washed out. All these different things happened in the last couple of months. And so all these other plans have been pushed back. And so, you know, it's a lot of scrambling to to do everyday things like fixing fence to get it back so that you can put the cattle in someplace and, and they'll stay there. So cattle love to go back to where they originally came from. So if you move a cow and you drop her in another field, she wants to go back to where she was before because it was comfortable and she knows that it's a safe place. And so if there's an opening in the fence, she's going to find it. So there's a, we spent the last 60 days rebuilding fence. Um, Roads all got wiped out. Um, So we've, we've been rebuilding those. And then uh, we haven't even gotten to the pipes yet. The pipes are going to be a disaster, but right now we've got so much water, which has not been the case the last couple of years. We've been in this severe drought for really, 12 to 14 years, but especially this last two years have been extremely, extremely dry. So, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of on the, on the ground fence and pipe and dirt work. And then, uh, and then getting on a horse is truly the best part of that. So, um, you know, when those rains came through and the fences disappeared, we knew we had both horses and cattle everywhere. And so we just needed to make sure that most of them were okay. And so we jumped on horses and trumped our way through. It's about, 14 miles from end to end on one of the ranches. Wow. And so we, we couldn't get in by truck. So we, we saddled up at the beginning of the ranch and rode our way back um, to the very back end, uh, found a lot of different animals. We had to get the bulls out. The bulls have to be out on time. Otherwise your calving is late. And so okay. we were two weeks late on that. Um, but one of our missions was to, you know, ride in all the way back in, find the bulls which is always a challenge whether there's broken fences or not. They, they like, they, they don't have a problem moving through fences if they're in, if they're truly in their way. So found the bulls, uh, spent the night, uh, out there and then brought them through to the front of the ranch where a lot of the cows were and kind of dropped them off along the way. Cause there were cows scattered everywhere. But, um, yeah. so yeah, so now we've got brandy to try to, to do, but yeah, they're the best places on a horse. Uh, but there's certainly computer work to be done and, and planning and things like that. When you're out there on a horse, just like cruising your land, like looking for animals, like you're working. I mean, do you ever just like stop and pinch yourself? Oh yeah. No, I, you know, I think I love photography and it's nice that I can have a beautiful phone, uh, with, with makes beautiful photos in my back pocket. And so I, I'm kind of every day, all day, I'm when I'm on the horse kind of snapping photos because it's never lost on me how beautiful it is out there. And, you know, you see things that that most people don't get to see uh, every day, which is really cool. So, you know, a lot of times on our ride, we'll see we've got um, tule elk, which are roaming the property. And so we see those pretty frequently. A lot of bobcats, uh, bears during the warmer parts of the year. Um things like that. So every once in a while you'll come around a corner and there'll be a bear sitting in a, in a water trough cooling off and it won't hear you coming or smell you and, and you get close enough and then it'll spot you and it'll jump out and take off running. Um, that's always fun. They also like to play with the floats that are in the water trough. Okay. And so it's like a little ball and it, and so they start doing that, but then they get excited and they poke a hole in it and then it, the water trough just starts flooding. So they walk away because uh, okay. the ball's no longer fun. It is so cool. So, um, Daniel, you grew up on the ranch. What was that like? 
Uh, wonderful. I mean, that's why I want, wanted to bring my kids back here. Um, and that's one of the main impetuses for me coming back. I, I, I really wanted my kids to have the same experience I had, which is just a pure sense of freedom. You know, uh, I was never bored because I could just open my back door, grab my dog and, and a backpack and head out. And so, um, you know, I think it teaches you a lot of hard work too. Although my dad probably said, will say I never did a day of hard work, uh, before <laughs> I was 15 or something like that. But, you know, we we're painting fences at nine or 10 and, you know, you don't actually paint the fence. You just fool around for a while and get, get a few strokes of paint, most of the paint on you and then some on the fence, but, but it teaches you hard work and, and, um, resiliency and, and a lot of things that I think are lacking, uh, outside of, of growing up in a place like this. So, and just a, a pure love of nature, you know, being out outside is, is something that I think everybody, uh, needs. And I don't, I think a lot of people don't understand that until you're there in it. Let's go there right now. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think, I think everybody, I mean, this is the perfect place for it, right? I mean, this is what Inspire Campfire is all about is, is getting outside of, of where you are currently and being in a, being in the outdoors uh, is so grounding, you know, it takes away all the kind of silly things that you get caught up with in, in regular days where, uh, you know, you're worried about all these different things. Um, you know, making sure the spreadsheet's done or the traffic or, you know, how long it's going to take you to do different things. And you get outside and you sit by a campfire uh, and, and it, and it takes all melts, all those things away. Right. And it brings you back to the core essence of what humans are, which is, um, you know, people want to get things done, but um, just being a part of nature and not, not having a constant sense of worry, I think is, is, is pretty great. And that's really probably the best part about my job is, is, uh, you know, you can get caught up in things here too, is, you know, did I get the bulls out on time? But in the end, you know, it's all going to work out and you get to be out, you know, riding around in nature and, and, and checking on things and, and being a part of it, you know, being a part of the wildlife that's here. Um, I saw, I saw a meme the other day. It was like, I know, you know, you're getting old when, uh, when you're sitting there and you look outside and you go, is that a purple spotted warbler? And, uh, you know, <laughs> I've caught myself doing that a bunch lately. I've seen these birds that I've never seen before and I'm paying attention to them. And now that we're Audubon certified, it's a, uh, you know, it's a little more in, in the forefront of my mind, but you know, there's so much wildlife and flora and fauna out here that yeah. uh, to get excited about, we have, this will be an epic wildflower year, which will be great. Um, and then we have all sorts of different flowers and plants that, you know, exist on our property because it's open rangeland and it won't get, won't get converted. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, there's so much I want to come back to there. Um, I just want to go back to when you were a kid, because, um, I think for so many of us and so many people that I've talked to, like there's, there's like kind of an inspiration that kind of drew people to the outdoors, like as a child. But, um, for most people, it was just like moments here and there. And for you growing up on the ranch, I mean, you're completely immersed in it. Did you, um, do you have any like specific memories of like, like moments that you knew you were where you wanted to be? And I'm also curious if you knew when you were young that you wanted to do this work when you got older. I mean, I've endless amounts of times where you go, gosh, this is, 
amazing. I think my birthdays were always things that were, were memories that I, I remember of, you know, this is, this is truly where I want to be. You know, we have a reservoir on the property for the vineyard and it has fish in it and you can, there's a dock and it's got a slide on it. And, you know, we always had my birthdays up there and we'd barbecue and, you know, it was just, you know, our friends, all my friends would come out and we'd get in a whole bunch of jumps off the end of the dock and people would be fishing and paddle boating around and barbecuing and eating cake and stuff like that. And those were always kind of fond memories and, and grabbing my backpack and going fossil hunting or hiking around the ranch with my dog, uh, you know, looking for Native American, you know, things like that. So, um, did you know when you were a kid that you wanted to do this work when you got older? You know, I think deep down, I, I, I knew I wanted to, but I also kind of felt a sense of obligation to be back here. Uh, you know, I'm fifth generation without, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a lot of cousins that not a lot, but I have a good group of close cousins that are all part of the ranch as well. Um, none of them, except for my sister grew up here on the ranch, but, um, I felt like it was kind of my duty to come back and continue it and, and preserve it for my grandfather and all the previous generations and my dad and, and mom. And so, um, I think originally it was a sense of obligation and duty. And now that I've been back for, you know, almost 15 years, uh, I'm so, I'm so thankful that it, it was the, the duty that drew me back here because now I, I realize that there's no better place for me. I, I, I truly love coming to work every single day. Um, you know, I, my weekends, I love being with my family and, and my evenings and, and mornings with, with my family. And, uh, but I don't dread coming to work. You know, I, I live for, for getting in the truck and getting out, um, you know, hitching up and grabbing my horse or getting in the vineyard or, you know, getting dirty. Um, and, and I, I'm, I'm thankful that it, it's, it's transitioned from an obligation to a pure, pure love of, of what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and that's something that really struck me again. Um, you and I have talked a few times before this and, and that, like, I sense that, um, that feeling of duty, that sense of obligation and responsibility that you've taken on. And I want to get into that, but before we get there, I want to kind of bring listeners like full circle because, you know, you left the ranch and you've got a Stanford education, you're a highly educated guy and you went out into the work. Can you kind of, can you kind of bridge the gap between like leaving the ranch, what you did, and then that sort of coming back? Sure. So uh, yeah, when I went to Stanford, I was probably one of uh, a handful of ranchers that were there. Probably the probably the only reason I got in. My my grades were good, but my scores were bad, and so they must have let me in because I checked the rancher box. But um, <laughs> but I you know and and I think that while I was there, I was immersed in in a huge group of people who had no understanding of what I grew up with, and yeah. um, it was fun to be that person. You know, to be able to tie people uh, to that. And we have a lot of friends who, you know, have come to the ranch and, and know what it's like to be out here. And so that was really cool. And then after I graduated, um, you know, I worked in, in software, uh, uh, design and, and development for a number of years, and then in the nonprofit world for a number of years, both in the Bay area and in San Diego. And, um, and again, I kind of carried that sense of things with, with me through those periods. And, and I tried to connect, uh, you know, ranching and what and how important it is to the fabric of the United States to everyone that I touched in those cities and and uh, 
and eventually managed to make my way back here. Yeah. So let's go. So let's talk about the, um, this sort of sense of duty and obligation that you felt when you came back. So this, this, the Avnalis Ranch does have a long history, 150 years old. I mean, and, uh, I think another thing that I, that I've noticed about you as we've been talking is like, not just your obligation to the ranch, but you're a family man as well. Like, and I can see and, and feel the obligation, um, and love that you have for your family. So I was just curious if you could talk a little bit about that, that sense of responsibility that you felt and that you've, you know, you've developed and, um, you know, what that means to you. Well, I, I think, I think that's actually something that's important. You, you said responsibility and that's a, that's a much better word than obligation. I mean, I think when I was younger, I, it was an obligation and now it's a responsibility, mm-hmm. um, you know, responsibility to not just everybody who came before me, my dad and, and all previous generations, but also responsibility to the next generations. You know, I have two boys, um, hopefully they'll they'll be interested in being a part of the ranch but um but it'll be here whether they're here or not they can come and go as they please but the but the but it's also to the broader community you know we live in an area um california's got a massive amount of people and rangeland is disappearing extremely fast in the state and and to be able to preserve it for the rest of the community is actually a huge sense of purpose and and responsibility that that has been passed down to me uh, as as a big part of what we do. And so during the pandemic, it was really interesting. You know, those first couple of months of of COVID, the 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 wildflowers were going gangbusters that year, and yeah. we had we always have a lot of people coming out to the ranch. It's not it's all private property, but they they have always come because there's a county road that runs through it and we've never fenced it off from people because we think it's yep. you know our responsibility to provide open space not just for the animals and and plants that are out there but for the people um and so for decades and decades uh people have come out to the ranch to picnic and be in the wildflowers and covid was a really interesting piece of that because so many people were cooped up and they were like i gotta get out of here and they showed up at the ranch. It was really funny because we probably had 10,000 people over the course of several weeks come through the ranch. Um, and there were like pathways, people walking on pathways that they'd created all over the place. And it was cool. I, you know, um, I think that responsibility is, is important. And I think we owe that to the broader community as, as really good stewards of the land. Um, you know, I've said before, but the ranchers are the original conservationists. We know when a tree limb falls, we are tied to every plant. So, you know, we're paying attention every single day. And, you know, national forests are, are wonderful, um, but they don't have the manpower that we have. Uh, you know, I've got five or six people here on the ranch, including myself, that are out there every single day, tending to the land, making sure things are okay. We're providing water for trees that we know aren't going to make it, but we can't see, we can't live without them falling over, you know, these big massive oaks, that kind of thing. And, and, and then the same thing with plants and animals um, throughout the ranch and, and the people. So the, again, the responsibility is, I think, um, pretty broad. And then, and then to my family, um, you know, my responsibility is, is providing that for future generations. But, but I also, 
truly love my my weekends with my families, which is difficult for ranchers. Weekends are always, you know, cows out on the highway or, you know, uh, the animal's sick or, you know, somebody's done something, you know, so there's, there's always something, a fence is down or a pipe is broken. Yeah. Pipes are probably the biggest thing, you know, you, when it's a hundred degrees out here, cattle need water. And if the pipe's broken, the pipe's broken, you got to fix it. But I have a really good team of people that, that help me be able to focus on my family during the weekends, especially. And, yeah. I mean, I love this. Like this, the sense of, of responsibility is broad. This is not just to your family and the legacy of the, of the land. Like it, it is to the land itself. You talked about the wildlife and the community. I mean, you have this, you've taken on this pretty massive responsibility. I'm curious, like, does it ever feel like a burden to you? No, I think that's, I think that's what you, what gets you out of bed every day, you know? Uh, it. It, yeah. It's, the responsibility is, is, uh, I don't know. I, I get a lot of enjoyment of watching people come out and enjoy the things. And we have different groups that come onto the ranch that are, you know, we have a group that's the long riders. They ride these, you know, hundred mile rides and they come through the ranch and, and do these giant rides every year and, and seeing their love of, of the space and, you know, people who are out birding or hunting and things like that, they're, you know, just, seeing their joy in it is is pretty wonderful and when friends come you know when friends come out to the ranch and they you know, i have a friend in town that uh, came out and we were riding around and you know we were shooting shotguns and stuff like that and we had beers in the console and no seat belts on and he was like oh, i mean this is this is living and <laughs> that's always been in the back of my mind as jason's talking there he's just like Ooh. He's like, man, this is this is the way we should be doing it, and, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, whether you're doing that or or you're out, you know, birding or or just having a picnic in the wildflowers, I think that that um, that's never a burden. I think that's what we're living for. Yeah, I mean, I love it. So you you mentioned your weekends. Um, what is a weekend like for a rancher? Mine are probably different. I I rely heavily on on my guys here to to help me focus on my family for the weekends, uh, which I think is really important. And and I I get out and see different things as well. So I I love the beach, and so my family and I go to the beach, or we, sometimes we go to the mountains, that kind of thing. But um, it's kind of funny to think, probably for people listening, to, yeah. that I would I would leave my place to go somewhere else for. For the for the weekend but um i think most ranchers are working i i uh you know i something that we didn't touch on is that you know ranchers are disappearing constantly because the share of the pie of beef prices is has dwindled um pretty dramatically and so uh you know ranchers are not able to make a living anymore and and so i think those that are still out there are um probably working Saturday and Sunday as well. Yeah. But, and, um, you know, with kids, I think that there is an aspect of, of your life that so many people, cause you're out there doing sports and doing, you know, all the stuff that, that the rest of us are doing on the weekend. So, um, yep. you've yeah, got, I've got baseball piece. practice at four 30 today. It's, uh, we got, got the nine-year-olds out there running around. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and vacation. So I think you mentioned the beach and the mountains. What's vacation look like for you? vacation is amazing, you know, because everybody needs time to kind of reset. But yeah. um, yeah, usually we're at the beach or in the mountains. Um, I, I, uh, I, my vacations are always outdoor 
induced, but a lot of times having to do with the ocean. Yeah, I love this so much. So, you know, it's just kind of this funny visual because there are so many people. I mean, the movie City Slickers is a great example. There are so many people that um, kind of look at what you do and fantasize about it. I, I mean, I, I know more than more than several people that, you know, would love to um, quit their job and move someplace and buy a big plot of land and just live off of the land. Right. And so, you know, those people might feel envy towards somebody like you. I'm just wondering, like, do you ever feel envy to the guy that's sitting in the office and plugging away at his computer? <laughs> uh, no, no, no offense to them, but no, I, uh, <laughs> I'm not interested in sitting in front of a computer for days on end. I'd, I'd get probably stirred crazy pretty quickly, but, but no, I, 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 uh, I understand the, the pastoral idea of, of owning a ranch and coming back and, and just living off the land. And I think that that's, we need more of that. I, I and I think I'll, I, and people are transitioning into that, which is great. Um, the, one of the difficult pieces is, you know, rangeland and farmland and in California is essentially, you know, you cannot own it unless you're a major corporation at this point. And, and that's a problem. Um, but also, you know, outside of this area, it's the same thing. It's people can't make enough money off the land to support themselves. And so a lot of people coming back into ranching and things like that, um, either have to be really creative or, uh, or come in with a lot of money. Um, you know, I, I really don't know how people can do it. I, I'm truly blessed that that I was given what we what we've what we have currently, and that we've been able to ha uh, hang on to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at one point, I think you you mentioned to me that you felt like your work was hard work, very hard work, but not stressful work. And I I really connected with that. Yeah. No. I uh, yes. Uh, hard. The days are hard some sometimes, but. Uh, but a lot of times they're not, you know, riding a horse for eight hours is you get off and you're sore, but, uh, mm -hmm. but every minute of it was most likely enjoyable. So, yeah, but you have to love what you do. Like you, like you said, because it is, it is hard work. It's, you know, right. there's not, as you said, it's not a, it's not a huge profit business. So you, you do what you do out of that sense of responsibility. And it's because, because of the fact that you love it. Um, but I wonder if we could kind of pivot into the, like, the sort of conservation piece you, you mentioned that um, it's been said that ranchers are the original conservationists. So right. can you talk about the environmental side to what you do? Because I think there are, there are some, some myths about it as well. Yeah. I mean, and we're kind of in the thick of it right now with people thinking that, uh, you know, cattle are, are uh, a part of the, are, are a part of the problem and they are, uh, you know, I think that, I think to deny that cattle are part of the problem uh, is being a little bit blind um, or defensive. And, you know, there are different pieces of the cattle industry that are um, producing a fair amount of methane uh, that's probably can be fixed. And I think that's a, I think that's something that as an industry, we could probably look at. And I think they, there are a lot of people looking at how to fix that. Um, but on our side of things, we're actually sequestering far more carbon than than any methane that we're producing uh, would tra uh, transition into. So, uh, the methane obviously is a is a higher producer, uh, but the but carbon stays in longer, and so our rangeland uh, is able to not only um, capture carbon and store it because we won't be releasing it by disking it up or or mm -hmm. putting houses on it. 
And that happens every single year. So we have trees and grassland that are that are sequestering carbon. And um, meanwhile, we have cattle that are helping to do that. Without the cattle, the grassland would, you know, people think about rewilding the land. That doesn't, that won't happen. That's not a thing. Uh, you know, you, those herds that moved through that helped uh, reduce the grass coverage down don't exist anymore and you could bring them back but again who's going to manage that they you can't just let a bunch of bison run around anymore that's not a thing and so uh if you did not if we didn't have those little tractors of cows running around out there mowing the grass down every year we would the grass would grow tall fall over oxidize and eventually kill the ground and soil and soil everybody's really into soil right now well as the original environmentalist, we've been uh, aware of the soil for 150 years ourselves and everybody else for much longer is ranching. So I think that while we may be a small part of the problem, we can also be, we are also a part of the solution. And, and without rangelands like ours, we, if these get converted, which they're doing at a high rate every year, the problem is going to become worse. And so I think that people need to think of eating beef as actually part of the solution. I, you know, obviously biased, but I really do believe that beef is one of the best things for the environment. And, uh, and I think that argument isn't made well enough because ranchers are out, uh, you know, working and they don't have time to try to fiddle with having a conversation about this anymore. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about um, sort of the beef industry, like from your, you're a local rancher and, and, and you do have um, your, your challenges with like globalization of things. Can you talk a little bit about, about the industry and some of the challenges that you face? Uh, yeah. So, you know, basically any beef that you ever have starts on a family ranch. Um, calves have to be produced somewhere and almost all of them, if not all of them are, yeah. are started on ranches like ours. And they, they are out there grazing and in, in places that can't be no other use is possible for them other than housing, which obviously is not helpful. Um, but the challenges are that, you know, uh, the larger system, which has been created to feed a lot of people, um, and is necessary is not as clean as it should be. And, and I think that's a place that as an industry, we can start. And I, I think there are ways that we can do that. And those are currently being undertaken and, and, you know, nothing moves quickly in the world, but the, but those, those things are in, in production, but, uh, you know, uh, I think the biggest battle we're facing right now is, is a lack of understanding of what we do. Um, mm. you know, People don't understand that we're we're part of the solution. Like I said, what do you most want people to know about like kind of dispelling those myths? It's like the lack of education that you just talked about. Like if you could kind of break it down for people to take away from this this podcast, what would you want people to walk away with? Well, I think that beef is is extremely nutritious, um, and and we're taking land that otherwise can't be used or shouldn't be used for other purposes um, and making a, a highly nutritious uh, product out of it that that is good for the environment. And I I can't stress that enough. You know, if, if somebody doesn't believe it, come out and visit me. I don't care if you're the most ardent vegan, anti 
beef person alive, I'm happy to have the conversation. I'm happy to have somebody come out and look at what we're doing and understand why our, our portion of this industry is a major part of the solution. And without it, um, we're going to run into bigger problems. Yeah. What would you show that person if they came out to the ranch? I just put them in the truck. I don't know that I put, give them a shotgun and a beer, but, uh, but, but I, I put them in this, I put them in the passenger seat and we drive around and I'd show them what the cattle are doing and explain really down to the science of, of grazing yeah. what they're doing, you know, converting grass that cannot be consumed, um, by humans into a product that is producing highly nutritious, uh, product that, that feeds a lot of people. So, yeah, that's really helpful. And I think there, there's also an element like for me that I really appreciate and respect is the local nature of what you do. Right. And I wondered if you could just talk about that, like that, the, the local aspect versus, you know, some of the globalization that's kind of happening. Yeah. I mean, globalization in the, in the food systems is somewhat terrifying, you know, uh, you know, at some point having all of our, our beef, being produced in other countries and us relying on not just beef, but uh, our proteins produced in other countries and having that be reliant on that is not a good thing. I mean, we, we need to be able to be self-sufficient within the country. And um, the local the localization of things in the, in recent years, I think has been a, a really good thing. I mean, a lot of people are moving back to that old system of, of getting your food locally. Right. Um, and, and we've, we've been a huge benef benefit yeah. benefactor of that. Um, and that people are, um, coming to us directly for our beef and we never used to sell beef to people. Um, you know, we might've sold it to the local butcher and, and that kind of thing back, you know, 140 years ago, but now we're selling with the internet. We are able to sell kind of anywhere. I pretty much do only in California, but, um, but especially locally, you know, I'm dropping off beef later this afternoon to a gal, uh, you know, a couple miles from me. And so, you know, getting those food systems back in order, I think, um, is going to be really helpful. Obviously we still have to feed hundreds of millions of people and yeah. that bigger system needs to exist. But, um, but f as much of the, that system of going getting back to local production, uh, as possible, I think will be really helpful. Yeah. And is there a difference between the, like the beef that you produce and beef people can get someplace else, like produced in another country or. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the battles that's being fought in our industry right now is the, uh, is USA beef. Uh, you know, currently you can take beef from Brazil, bring it in, repackage it, just throw it in a different box and pack a, yeah. put a stamp on it that says USA beef. And that's, that's a problem. I think people that's not being clear for people. Um, and I think that beef that it's hard because now I'm, I'm raising grass fed grass finished beef that I dry aged for 27 days. And I'm used yeah. to that flavor, which is, uh, takes some getting used to because we're so used to this kind of bland tasting beef, you know, yeah. that's spiced up with spices or salt and pepper or whatever it is. And it doesn't have all that much flavor. And my grandfather hated it. He, toward the end of his life, he just constantly searched for non-bland beef. And I think that's what you're finding in a lot of uh, stores and restaurants. And I actually had a customer call me and he said, I'm really disappointed in the beef. I, it doesn't taste good. And I said, 
give it another couple of days, you're going to get used to it. And then you're going to go and taste another piece of beef and you're going to realize, Oh, I've just been having flavorless beef for, for a long time. And yeah. I, and, and he did, he, he called me a couple of weeks later and he said, you're right. I, I, I went to Costco and I grabbed a tri-tip and I had it and we all agreed it was just overly fatty and flavorless. And so I, there's a big difference between what you, what you get in the stores and, and, and what you can get direct from, from someone. But, um, they're start those stores are starting to have things that are produced, uh, in the way that we're doing it, but you know, nobody dry ages it past 14 days. So I think, you know, if you know your rancher and you, you can talk to them about different ways to, to do things, you can get a, a much more flavorful beef. Yeah. That's fantastic. Daniel, what, what is it about working with the land and animals and just being outside that, that seems to connect us with something deeper? You know, I, I guess at our core, uh, we all are originally, you know, cavemen essentially, right. You know, <laughs> we, we, we grew up around fires, uh, yeah. in our DNA and, and, and being close to animals. And, you know, I think that one of the big things I think about when we're out on the ranch and Native Americans had uh, come through our area, the Chumash, um, they didn't live permanently on the property, but they came and went and the remnants of those are there. And I try to remember and think about what those people did and the people before them that were here, you know, what those people did in tied to the land. And so when I'm out there and I look at grasses that are growing in different ways, or I see how animals are moving, you know, whether they're bears or, you know, the population of wild turkeys and things like that, understanding different cycles in the planet, I think you just get down into your kind of core original um, being when you're, when you're amongst animals and plants and in nature, because I think that's how they survived, right? You know, they'd watch the populations of these different animals and the trees and, and they understood which direction the planet was going. Yeah. And so when you said like getting back to our like core being, like, what does that feel like for you? And like, when do you feel that most when you're out there? I mean, there's really nothing better than getting on a horse and getting up to a place that you've never been before. I mean, that, with 18,000 acres, there are places that even after 40 plus years, I, I still have not seen. And I had had that adventure uh, a couple of weeks ago, I popped into this little Canyon and I got up high and I thought, I don't think I've ever been here before. And, (laughs) and just looking around and, and having that kind of piece and then staying the night out there, there's no one within, you know, 10, 20 miles of you. Um, it's, it kind of seems like it's stuff that you're talking about with other people is that getting out in nature, where there aren't other people and reconnecting yourself to, you know, the stars or, or the plants or the animals. That's, those are definitely my favorite pieces. Oh my gosh. All right. You just created a visual. So did I hear you'll go out on your horse and find a place that you've never been before and spend the night there? Are we talking campfire and tent and. No, but I know because I, I, I eventually work my way back to the house, but, uh, but I need to do that. I, I think that, I think that's the right thing to do. And there are places Boy, there are places that one of my favorite places on the ranch is called Coyote Hole. And it's uh, up on, you get up on top of the mountain, which takes a couple hours to get up there. And then you work your way back in. And then there's this amazing little creek that runs through there and flows. And it has a couple little mini waterfalls. And 
camping there is definitely the right place to be, I think. Uh, oh, so, man, that sounds amazing. I hope to visit someday. Um, yeah. Daniel, what advice do you have for people that are listening that are inspired by what you do, inspired by the outdoors, and, um, you know, would like to get more involved? And in, in, um, how, how do they how do they take part in the kind of lifestyle that you live? I think there are plenty of opportunities to do that, you know, whether it's it's getting out and, you know, going to national or 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 state parks and that kind of thing and being out in nature. But there are also a lot of ranches that, you know, are trying to make it uh, outside of just having cattle. And obviously we were lucky enough to do the vineyard thing, but our neighbors do a a deal where you can come out, stay on the ranch. Uh, You know, they have different programs, whether it's wildflower hikes or riding horseback or shooting or whatever it is um those there are ranches all over that do that and whether they're far from you or close to you i think that there are opportunities to do that and i one of the things i'm hoping to institute this year is getting an audubon group out to do some birding and leading that group on a on a hike to try to find some places that uh that they wouldn't normally get to um and you know being a part of those types of groups or trying to organize a group to go out and and supporting the ranchers by maybe paying a little bit to get onto the ranch to a lot of ranchers don't want you on their property, but sure. finding the right ranch to go out and, and do those things. I think uh, those opportunities exist. Oh, it's amazing. So, I mean, you've lived this epic lifestyle. You grew up on a ranch, you know, you went away to college, you came back. Now you get to manage this beautiful 18,000 acre property and all this wildlife. Like Daniel, at some point, Hollywood's going to find out about you and they're going to make a movie about you. <laughs> and, and I want to know when they do, who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you? I don't know actors' names all that well, but and everybody that I do know is probably going to be so old they wouldn't be able to play a 40-year-old me. But uh, <laughs> what's the Spider-Man guy? Uh, Tom Holland. He's probably... Oh, Tom Holland. Be. Yeah, man, I can see that. That's a good one. Love that. Yeah, yeah maybe, he'll, maybe he'll partake. We better start that conversation with him. I love it. Okay, we'll get him ready. So what's this movie going to be called? Well, the it's funny because we have this kind of running joke. So I live near Shandon. Shandon is a town of, you know, 500 people uh, uh-huh. in the middle of nowhere. It's really, uh, it's got one, it has no stoplights. It's got a stop sign um, and one store. And that's where I went to high school and elementary school. Nice. People are always a little bit, uh, there. it's a little, always a little weird for people to think that I actually went to high school there because my graduating class was in public school was 23 kids. So, wow. but, so everybody jokes that it, I will, uh, I'll be the mayor of Shandon, which, uh, which is, which is kind of like, um, so maybe like Schitt's Creek, you know, maybe I'll be Roland. Um, but so maybe it's the mayor of mayor of Shandon. As well. The mayor of Shandon starring Tom Holland. It's going to be so good. Yeah. Oh, uh, Daniel, people, if people want to find out more about you, what's the best way for them to do that or the ranch? Yeah. Uh, avanalisranch.com. Um, you know, uh, my email is Daniel at Avanalis ranch. Um, and I'm always happy to have conversations with people. I love, love talking to people about you know what we do and, and having people come out and check things out. Yeah. And your Instagram is fantastic. And, and, uh, I think you told me most of those photos, if not all of those photos you've taken, yeah, no, I do love photography. And so I try to, and I try to connect people. I realize a lot of people are following me that don't live this life. And, and I try to help connect them to what we're doing and, and, um, and seeing the beauty, beauty of the land and, and, and the purpose here. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for what you do. I'm like, I'm super inspired by you and, and, and the life that you get to live. And I'm just feel, uh, feel very grateful to know you. And so I appreciate your time today. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Daniel's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Daniel, thank you so much for being here today. No, thanks for having me.